Hello and welcome back. If you're a flexographic printer listening to this and ink is not the easiest part of your job, stay tuned because it really should be. Welcome to Ink and Updates, your touch point for the flexographic industry. Stay informed about industry news and advertise your business or service to the community. You know that Krispy Kreme brought that damn lemon thing back for for a whole week again? At the end of September, end of August? Jerks. No. It's awful. We are recording. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Ink and Updates podcast. I am Craig Tinarella, and with me is, of course, Tom Brennan. What's up? Now, today, we have uh, one of our employees here, Bob Sweeney, is going to sit down with us to help articulate a subject that Tom Brennan has been wanting to bring up. And, of course, the theme of today is ink should be the easy part. So... Based on that, Tom, what do you got for us today? Basically, we're looking at a, a survey that came out. It was a flash poll in Flexo magazine called Lay Down Logistics. It's from the uh, June edition. And basically, the flash poll tackles ink, analogs, Dr. Blade interaction, and troubleshooting tactics. And I thought it would be fun for us to basically talk about some of the issues that uh, press operators are having around the country uh, from a ink manufacturer standpoint and some of the things that we can do to uh, help them with these issues. So some of these numbers that, uh, that they have in here, you know, basically will go down for uh, the June edition 2019 that uh, we don't have these problems. All right. So before we get started, though, there's a trivia test that we're going to take. Oh, and, yeah. and you listening to us, go ahead and follow around. Tom's got the answers. Me, Craig, and, and Bob here. We have no idea what he's going to ask, so we're going to try and prove our value here. Well, I mean, you, I, I mean, I want to make sure that you guys are, are I mean, are qualified. That's right. I before mean, you start taking to, our ink to, advice, to even talk to our customers, this actual this actual trivia test uh, is on uh, page sixty four of that same magazine in Flexo Flexo magazine from the June edition. So I'll just read a little bit here. It says it happens. Pressure builds. Rolls clog. Blades break, plates swell, substrates shed or absorb ink. And so some of the, these are some of the perils that somebody would come across during his daily work as a press operator. So just to make sure you two are qualified to be here, we'll start with question number one. So wait, how are we going to do this? Does is, is he get a chance to answer or is it like, do we have a bell? Like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess. I mean... Um, well, whoever like has whoever, the question like whoever takes yeah, the button first. maybe we could just bang on the table here. We don't, we don't have a bell, so or maybe you go. Are, are we answering in question form like Jeopardy? It's going to be A, B, C, or <laughs> okay. D. Okay, perfect. So go first question. One. Okay, so first question: What reduces excessive dot gain on the substrate when printing? A. Replacing the printing blade. B. Changing the printing plate. C. Reducing the pressure settings, or D. All of the above. All, all it better be all of the above. Because I was about to ding, ding, ding. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> At least on two of them. I'm yeah. so sure about the other one, but okay. Excessive dot can also be uh, caused by, you know, very thin ink. Anyway, next question. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I feel like that was fair, right? We both got that right. I'm going to put a check mark by both of our columns. <laughs> okay. All right. This one you should get, too. <laughs> Ink adhesion is attributed to which ink component? A, solvent, B, pigment, C, resin, D, wax additives. Go ahead. I say C. Oh, the resin? Yeah. Yeah, it is typically the resin system, but you know what? We do add solvents for adhesion promoters. Empyrol is very aggressive. 
That was a tricky one. <laughs> That's pretty tricky. Yeah. Yes, the resin hardens the solvents evaporate into the air. In many cases, there are only inks that will stick to certain materials and to continue that continue to be used when durability and function are required. So I'm curious as to who wrote the answers to these questions. These were, uh, there was a little bit of assistance from a different ink company. Oh. And they're not uh, technically paying for this podcast, so they don't get any airtime. <laughs> Deal. Okay. I mean, if you want to find out, buy the magazine. They're on page 64. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Chambered Inking Systems has what two blades? A, a doctor blade and a wiping blade. B, doctor blade and a backup blade. Or C, Dr. Blade, and a contaminant blade. So we had I'm podcast- sorry, containment blade. Containment blade. Yeah. Sorry. Right, sorry. The containment's the bottom one, I think. Right. Containment's the bottom one, and then the other one's on the top. What was the first? See, I'm a confused now, because you're saying a lot. I should be writing this down. Right. <laughs> so okay. it sounded like C was correct, but I don't recall. <laughs> okay. So a chambered inking. Got it. Is chambered, that actually a word? Chambered Dr. Blade system. I guess okay. we're you know, inking, All applying right. ink. <laughs> has what two blades? A, a doctor blade and a wiping blade. B, a doctor blade and a backup blade. Or C, a doctor blade and a containment blade. I think C sounds yeah, correct C, to me. C sounds C would be correct. The doctor blade ensures excessive ink has been removed from the analogs, while the containment blade serves to keep the ink within the chambered system. And just if you're listening to this, we did a couple podcasts with two different uh, Dr. Blade manufacturers, both of them excellent in their field. Feel free to head back and listen to those. Yes. Oh, no, they're great. Flexible Concepts, and I think the other one was uh, Providence. Providence. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's two different, uh, different styles. Two different styles, two different segments. Uh, you know, definitely worth your time. Okay, so we'll do one more. All right, one more. And, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, then we'll get on with business here. Sounds I mean, good. So far, you guys are pretty qualified for this. <laughs> so, Ink, perfor- ink performance can be attributed to one of the following criterias. A, volume of the analogs. B, blade selection for necessary print reduction. C, using a plastic containment blade as opposed to a steel containment blade. Or D, all of the above. This is a, tr- this is a trick. Is it yeah, a trick question? Tricky. Well, it's because I feel like question. I could, and, uh, I was, I could uh, answer with a paragraph. I don't uh, know if I could answer no, 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 with no, no, no. I think yeah, you could, you could, you could. Not overthinking it. It's all of the above. Right. Not overthinking it. It's right. All of the above. So, but it could be a combination maybe yeah, sure. of, of like, two answers. Like I would answers. say combination, uh, probably A and C, if I remember correctly. What was the. Well, okay. Let me read them again. Read them again. Okay. Ink performance can be attributed to which of the following criteria? A, the volume of the analogs. B, the blade selection for necessary print redu- re- reproduction. C, using plastic containment blade as opposed to a steel containment blade. Okay, D, so I'm going to go above. with A and B, actually, because here's the thing. In my opinion, you switch out the, from plastic to a metal containment blade, that could be completely application-specific. A and B sound more like what you're kind of trying to target. Yes, C has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. Correct. <laughs> Is that correct? That's correct. It's A and B. A and B. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, you're qualified. Deal. All right. So before we uh, get too off track here, let's. <laughs> <laughs> ink performances by Interactive Inks. Yes. All right. So ink should be the easy part. Here we go. We're going to start talking about this um, this article and this flash poll from. Lay down logistics. Let's get going here. So one of our employees here, 
Bob Sweeney is joining us today. He's been in the industry for a long time. Bob, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay, my background is uh, straight out of high school. I went into the printing industry. I started out as a box maker on the end of a machine, worked my way up, and uh, one day was asked to work in the ink room, and it was like uh, art class in school, just matching colors. Went on to work in the industry as a tech rep for, for ink, and that's where I am today. So you never worked at any printers or anything like that? I did. Uh, I did. I, uh, I worked at a printer. Um, I mean, we know what you've done, so yeah, just spit yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> also worked on a press, so I have some background in that as well, mounting plates, pre-press, things of that nature. And right now, I am uh, a representative for the company that I work for. There you go. All right. So the reason I kind of squeezed that out of them is because we're going to be talking a lot about the things that printers can do on their end and what we can do as ink manufacturers on our end to kind of help you out. So Bob's sitting in here for a reason because he's been on press for a lot of years and he may have an interesting perspective when it comes to some of these questions that Tom here is going to ask us. Right. So the flash poll uh, sought to identify the most common problems encountered as a result of ink analogs and the blade interface, basically the wet end of the press. So uh, 65% said they were having issues in this area. So let's start with ink strength and density. How, how should a customer effectively communicate to their ink supplier how strong their inks uh, should be? That would come from the, uh, the analog selection that they have and the type of printing that they're working on. If you run big solid reverses, there are analogs built for that. If you're doing line count and screen work, same thing. They have uh, you know, certain volumes for that. And then the ink company can adjust their ink strengths to that level. To a certain extent. So the one thing I'll add to that is absolutely, when I do ink technician uh, on press, always recommend the strongest ink system possible. Because if, you can, if you're mixing and blending and you're trying to hit your spot colors with the strongest ink colors possible, you'll be able to reduce your ink volumes, your BCM volumes, to lower amounts, which of course gives you those higher line analogs, especially if you're doing high-end process work and things like that. So yeah, definitely the driving force is the application, the BCM volumes and inventory that you have. And whether or not using a laminate and overprint varnish definitely has something to do with it, too, because I'll tell you what, if you have an ink formulation, if you put too much pigment in there, then you're kind of limiting the percentage of the good stuff that's in the formulation. So if you're not using a laminate, not using an overprint varnish, sometimes there's a limiting factor there to the amount of pigment that we can actually put into the formulation. And again, that's all application specific. So analogs can dramatically affect the way your color would look on press, right? So I would say it's the driving force in many cases. So 57% said that they clean their analogs every 7 to 10 days. Only 12% said that they would do that after each and every job. And so when we're talking about how important analogs are, you know, maybe you guys should just expand on that. I mean, I've always taken like the, the plastic cup and put water in it and then used a tennis ball to show that ink, it, you know, dries in the bottom of the analogs. And when that happens that, you, you know, you don't have the same color as you did on the job before. So I mean, how often do you see that? You go into a job or go in to help a customer and, you know, what's kind of your process when they say, hey, this color is not pulling up or this ink isn't the right color. What's your process when you walk into a customer and what's the first thing you look at? Well, the first thing I look at is the makeup of the job itself. And what I mean by that is the construction of the job. What I see on, a, you know, a normal basis is for cost effectiveness, the printer will try to uh, combine certain types of printing on a plate. 
What I mean by that is you'll have like a big solid block of print and then some dot value somewhere, like a screen or a vignette. Looks really good on the artwork, but uh, now you're combating two different things. If I want to get a nice dark print on like bold type, I usually tend to set my printing a little different, and then what happens is my dots fill in. By the same token, if I try to work on the area where the dots are, then the bold print looks a little bit lighter or washed out. So there is a little bit of give and take in that, and I totally understand the, you know, the, the cost value because sometimes you can't separate a plate. Uh, you can't have a screen and a solid. So I look at things like that as well. Um, there are some tricks in the trade that you could do to combat that. But uh, again, one of the things is if you're printing with a, a higher line analogs and the volume is there, you know, uh, again, I try to assess it on each and every individual basis. So how would you, what would you recommend that a customer does? Or what, what would the process be for the customer? before he even gets out to press, to just kind of ensure that one of the things that they struggle with was incorrect color and excessive color pools at make-ready time. And so they're obviously struggling with that because the percentage of press operators out there are, I mean, it's, it's a huge number. Right. It's, it's probably over 48%. So basically you could say that half of the press operators out there, based on the numbers that we have here, are having issues with you know, incorrect color and excessive uh, make ready times. So, you know, what can we do or what would your recommendation be for, for a press operator even before he goes out there? What are some of the things we should be looking at? Well, that's a good point. And one of the points that uh, I'd like to touch on here is pre-flight meetings. You know, when you're setting up the job, you usually have an art department that's involved, a, a plate department, the pressmen themselves, if that's allowed, and the shop foreman. Get together, you know, kind of know what your presses can do. You know, so things like that. Um, you know, everybody wants the job. You're more than capable of printing it. It's just trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of what your printing capabilities are. Right. So, again, from an ink standpoint, I always look at things as you talk about pre-flight meetings, setting yourself up for success. Right. So a lot of when it comes to not having the um, your colors on, on point and excessive make-ready times, that comes down to your capabilities on press, whether or not you have the proper ink systems for the analogs that you're printing with, and how much pre-homework did you do. If you call us, call up Interactive Inks and say, hey, next week I'm printing a 300 blue line and I'm trying to hit it with 3.5 VCM analogs, is it going to be possible? Well, we can absolutely, on our end, do that kind of homework and say, well, you know what? You know, a 295, 300 blue or whatever the color may be, I don't have a book in front of me, but that color might be difficult to hit, let's say a 3.5 BCM. It might be better off with a 4.5 or maybe a 5 or something of the sort. And then those type of conversations could begin to happen. Now, I always like to talk about, circling back to what I mentioned before, high-strength ink systems. Well, that's what the ACT ink system is for. That's just-in-time, real-time color management solutions where all you have to do is ask the computer program that we calibrated for you, yes. can I make this happen? That's a button click that says, hey, I have this ink systems calibrated. These are the analogs that I have calibrated in the ink system. Can I hit these colors with what we have in-house? And if the program's just going to tell you yes or no, right? And then, of course, if, if it's a no, then you can go ahead and get a hold of your, uh, your ink manufacturer, call up Interactive Inks and Coatings, in other words. And, uh, and, and we, can definitely, we can definitely develop solutions to solve your application-specific issues, right? So what, what Bob was saying, in my opinion, absolutely correct. How much are you doing? Are you doing your homework up front? 
before you get to press. The only way to reduce your make ready times is to do your homework first. Right. So, okay. So we, we've got two, I think two levels of customers here. Probably we have the mom and pop shop with maybe, you know, three or four presses in there and, you know, maybe they don't have pre-flight meetings. And then we have, you know, bigger shops, I'd say 12 presses and up, which may have some technology, right? So I look at it from our standpoint for the mom and pop shop, if they wanted to run that 300 blue, you know, right. Call us on the phone. Say, hey, I'm going to run these colors. Can you, can you let me know it was possible? I'm, I'm sad that I'm going to have to ask this question, but since I don't have a book in front of me, is the 300 blue a dark blue or is the 295 what I'm thinking of? <laughs> Which one of those is the dark, deep blue? It would actually be like the 301. Like it's 301. It's a little bit darker. <laughs> okay, see. And, and the yeah, bottom see, of the page. You stare at books all the time. You know, it's been a while. <laughs> right. right. And, so, and so a lot of places, they're, look, they're not, I mean, brand owners, they're not even using books anymore, right? So it's all, right. it's all data and uh, digital technology. So. For the, for the smaller accounts, look, you can absolutely call us on the phone. We can let you know, hey, that these colors are possible with, with the analogs that we have here. But you touched on the ACT or advanced color technology system that we have here at Interactive. And maybe we should really just kind of loop that. You know, it's one of the greatest technologies that we've seen come along in the Flexo uh, sure. industry as far as matching colors and, and, make, and simplifying the whole process of getting a color from conception or out of the book to the finished product. So maybe we should, you know. Yeah, we should probably should touch on that for a second. Because really what I think is like when I think of what, what ink is, what it, when you talk about the perception of ink to a, to a printer or the pressman or even the, the owner, to me, generally speaking, ink is a nuisance. It's another variable that is complicated. And we like to say ink really should be the easiest part of your job because when it comes to setting something up, the last thing you want to worry about is do I have the proper ink system after you've got your analogs all set up, you got your doctor blades, you got your press tension proper, you got your substrate, you got approval from the graphics, you got all of these complications done and ready to go. And then it's like, oh, we're held up for 45 minutes to an hour and a half setting up a job because of off-spec color. Well, I right. mean, yeah, but the... <laughs> The label don't look right. If the, the, color, if the, right. Ink, if the ink's well, not right, you don't have a label. You've that's got, the other thing about it. Not only, is it. not only is ink, a, you know, I think a, in, from their perspective, a nuisance, but it's also a critical part of the printing process when it comes to flexography, right? So what is the ACT ink system, advanced color technologies? With the technology out here today, and I, I, I like to say, I think a lot of people got a bad taste in their mouth with older technology formulation software from X-Rite or whatever companies, because when you talk about Color Master 3 or uh, Ink, or was it the Formulation Master 3? Excellent software, don't get me wrong. Um, and for the time, it was really leading the curve. But, but, but it, it also wasn't... all it, things to all people. Right, it wasn't designed for the Flexo. It wasn't designed to, directly for the Flexo industry. So you ended up, I mean, the software was for textiles. It was for both formulation and quality control. It was for lithography. It was for all of these different things. Automotive industry. Right, automotive, absolutely. So it tried to be all things to all people, and inevitably what happened is it was pretty okay at all those things, but it wasn't great at any one thing, in, in my personal opinion, right? I'm not trying to knock anyone here. Go on through history, and um, Great Tag Macbeth, which is eventually purchased by X-Rite, had the Ink Formulation 6 software, which is now X-Rite is developing and improving upon constantly. And this software is specifically designed to formulate in our industry. It's designed Which we didn't to, believe. Which we didn't believe until we did it. Uh, <laughs> we've been working with it for years now, and they're continually working on it, making, making improvements, but... So, it's so just, just, just let me interrupt you for a second. Yeah. So, so when, when you go to a customer and you just mention X-Rite, they say, oh, we got one of those, right? Right. Well, we, they we say got, we, they got, a, we got sure, one of those. Sure, they got a spectrum at the top somewhere. Right? 
Right, they got an old 530 sometimes. Right, or 530 laying around. around. It's got yeah. a layer of dust on it. Nobody knows how to use it. Nobody wants to use it. And yeah. they're like, and then they go, well, we got one of those. So what? Yeah. So spectro- what's the difference? Spectrodometers are, are great tools. They are only the devices that carry the communication to the software programs. They are the device that takes readings, uh, takes the spectra curve under a given light source, and sends it to the software for analysis, essentially. So yes, you have an X-ray. It's, it's a piece to a whole. So, when, so not to get off base too much, when we talk about the ACT Ink System Advanced Color Technology, you're talking about a number of different devices, a number of different software programs coming together to supply an application-specific solution. So there is no one real-time color management system for one person. There's a baseline system that we provide, but generally speaking, we modify it for whatever it is you're doing. Because what printer A is doing might not be what printer B is doing. So what we're talking about, just to get to the nuts and bolts of it, we're talking about the cloud-based solutions to Ink Formulation 6 software and Color Quality 6 software. So everything you have is in the cloud, accessible from anywhere in the world, from your laptop. You can have multiple facilities. You can tie everything together. So that's the nuts and bolts of it. And then the batching and management system, which is a local software, which can be a dispensing unit. It can be any of these number softwares. We have our wholly owned one as well. Ties into it. So you create a formulation in the cloud. You ship it to your batching and management system and you manufacture that product. And that whole process takes 30 seconds to, to a minute. And this, the software, when it's properly calibrated, can tell you exactly whether or not you're going to be able to hit the targets. And Bob, I know you've done a lot of work with this software. You work with it every day in the laboratory. Um, it really is pretty much on point. So when we say about doing your pre-work homework, I personally believe that everybody can benefit, every printer can benefit from having a, uh, the advanced color technology that's available today in the market as part of their ink room solutions, as part of their, as part of their you know, press room, as part of their ink room, quality department, so on and so forth, to solve these. Most of these solutions that we're, you're going to ask about can be solved with software. It's point and click these days. I well, I mean, that's quite a statement. I mean, I, I think that we, we talked about earlier, like, you know, old school, you know, you had to, you had to have a color eye, you had to develop a color eye, you had to, had to learn how things looked on in different, in different types of light. And then I believe that we can almost take a pressman, whatever age, right? So you young guys out there are going to know how to point and click. And I would say our, some of our seasoned veterans can even get this as well. I mean, Bob, you've been in several press rooms and installed several of these systems across the country with all types of different uh, personalities, right? Right. One, one of the things that I like to touch on here is that I got to see this develop over the years, come from, you know, scooping with ladles like you're talking about the old times sure. to uh, having some kind of a control over what you consider standard. You know, uh, no more looking for files, no more going through boxes, you know, bankers boxes of things, jobs in the previous past. <laughs> this is stuff right at your fingertips, you know. So when, when you shoot a color on uh, the system, it stores it. You know, sure. and, and you have a target now, and it's there every single time, you know, and it's all in one spot. Again, you can craft it for however you want. Uh, we could talk about that if you'd like. I mean, I think right. it, so I think standards is what you're touching on. Right. Standards that are dependent on your application. Correct. You have data points. You you have data points, points, you know, and and it's good, real stuff, you know. Your customers are happy with the color. You don't have to go looking for it. It's right there. You know, it's one of the features that I like. Well, one of the things that uh, it eliminates for sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the the color shift from job to job over a two or three month period, right? So if you're always, you know, back in the day, they would quality control it based on the last job they ran. Well, if the last job they ran was 3% weaker than the job before, and they kept doing that all the way down the line, before you know it, the color you're approving 
three months from now is not the same color you set from the beginning, right? And I think this eliminates that. Well, it certainly gives you some tools to help you. Uh, it, it gives you trend statistics. So if you set, like Bob was talking about, you set your dependent standards. So you, you print the job for the first time for Brand X. And Brand X proves the job and everything's golden. Well, generally speaking, the first time you ran that job, you probably compared it to either the Pantone Digital Library, maybe a printed sample that your uh, brand provided to you, something along those lines. Many times, almost always, the first time you run a job, you're comparing against something that's not application and not the application that you're trying to replicate it with, right? So it was printed lithography and we're trying to replicate it flexo for maybe a similar label, but it's going to go on in much larger quantities. So once we created our application-specific standards, it sits there. So when we talk about trends, first time we ran the job was in 2015, let's say. And then we ran the job and we tracked and we quality controlled against that standard that we created digitally back in 2015 every time we ran the job, month after month, month after month. And what we could see if, if we pull back and we take a look at all those digital readings over time, generally speaking, we get a trend. Either it's a trend up, I mean, ideally speaking, it's a trend solid, right? Straight horizontal. But most, most often what you see is a trend that goes uh, down. And that's because over time, analogs is where things change, right? And then you can go back and maybe, say, hey. Maybe the analogs aren't cleaned every right? seven maybe to Maybe the analogs aren't clean. And you can go back and say, hey, well, why? Are all of a sudden, you know, we've been matching this color to the same digital standard for three years. Why all of a sudden uh, we haven't changed anything, but we're not passing anymore? Right. Well, you can take a look at these trends digitally over years, and you can really take a look hard at what might be changing. And if you see a steady percentage change variable, then you can go back. Generally speaking, it is the analogs. It could be it could be the plates, material change. It could be a number of things, but um, those type of things you can because the ink doesn't have a memory. It's in the same formulation going on forever, right? But sure. Where can change transfer? So, uh, yes, if that's a long-winded way of saying there are tools that are built into the software to give you very good capacity to track your quality over time and to kind of see what's changing and, and adjust, okay. uh, adjust accordingly. Just one other thing that comes to mind is sure. when, when you do set that standard, you'll have a, a feature in there that you could set up some parameters to okay. so that, you know, you're not drifting miles off. You know, if you're talking about color consistency and you want to make it tighter, you can do that. It allows you to do that. And of course, the tighter your tolerance, the less setup time, you know, no, no wasting of any material. It's, uh, you know, pretty much formulate and go after that. Okay. Well, great. So we've matched our color. And I mean, for this example, we're using the 300 blue and we're up and running. And as the press begins to run, all of a sudden we begin to experience a color shift, you know, during the run, right? Over time, you know, your experience, what, you know, what is one of the causes of that? What, you know, and what, what can obviously press guys do and management do to help prevent those kinds of things? Okay. Well, two things that come to mind right off the bat are viscosity and pH. And we can argue back and forth which one is your favorite. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, some, some guys go straight off of how the ink feels, you know, so they make adjustments uh, accordingly. But I'm thinking in terms of long-term jobs, you know, you're going to have it on for a week or two. Viscosity and pH is important. So when you call me as a technician, that's the first two things I'm going to ask you. What's your viscosity? What's your pH? Because you can work through a lot of your issues that way. So what a drop in viscosity, a higher viscosity. I mean, what I mean, what what's the press guy going to see when that happens? I mean, what I mean, if they say, well, what's it to you? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know what what's your viscosity and pH. I mean, you know, I mean, what's it to you? Yeah, pH is tied to viscosity in a lot of ways. Viscosity is tied to temperature. It's pretty complicated, but it's actually very simple. Okay. Essentially, we send out the the product at a certain pH and a certain viscosity. That's where we want it to stay. 
If, you're, um, if you start to drop below that because the uh, amines in the system evaporate out, the pH goes down, the ink dries uh, quicker, and viscosity increases. As the viscosity increases, you're going to start having transfer issues and a number of other things. So what Bob is telling you is basically you want to maintain what we sent you. And sure. you do that through, uh, through ink additives, generally speaking, and especially when we're talking about conventional ink systems. And by conventional, I mean ink systems that were developed um, before the outcome of low-maintenance vehicles and things like that. The only other thing I'll say to that is color shift over time can also be created by overuse of those same additives. Because if you are using those additives and maintaining your pH and you just get in the habit of every 15, 20 minutes dumping in some pH or water or whatever it is, um, you're reducing the you're reducing everything. Right. Essentially, you're reducing the balance in the formulation. Okay. So over time, you reduce the pigment load, and, and that can affect your color. Okay. So we have to maintain that. So do you give do you give a recommendation to a press lab where you say, like, look, every half, every half hour, come over here and check this out. Every hour, check it out. Keep a lid on the ink. Keep the pan open. I mean, what? I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's so much variable there. That's right. So there's so much variable there. And I and, I, and look, and I don't want to get in the weeds about that, right? But I mean, I think that we, we've had, there's been several, there's been push in the industry for, well, this is maintenance-free ink. All you got to do is put it on and run it, right? And well, here, here's the thing. Wait, that, that's we never say maintenance-free. No, right. Low maintenance. <laughs> okay, right. So, low maintenance water. So, right. So I said there was, I said there was a push for. A right. So I said it was a push for maintenance-free. I didn't say that there there actually was one that actually existed. But uh, I mean, look, ink formulations have come a long way in 30 years, right? You know, there was there was a time when we sold. If you bought a gallon of ink, you bought a gallon of pH adjuster to go along with it, because that's that's what you needed to get through the day. Now we're down to capfuls of pH adjuster over time. So, you know, what's your recommendation? Brand new press guy, right out of school, you know, first day on the job. Hey, pH and viscosity are important. Does he check it every 15 minutes or every half hour? You can. I mean, some people are diligent like that. You know, they, they like the data points and they have sheets for it at their machine. Okay. And they check it, you know, but there's a whole lot going on on your press. Sure. And a lot of times you don't have the, you know, the time to go back there and do that. So again, I usually like to take the viscosity and pH when everybody says that the job is good, get a sign off, it, you know, looks the best it's ever had. You take down those two numbers, ink's flowing right, you know, you got it looking real good. And then over time, like you say, if uh, something starts going out of whack, you're going to see it at the end of your press. So at that point, you could shut it down if you can or, or run back there and take a look at it. You know, And if the numbers are out of whack, you could dial it back in. Uh, another suggestion is from a press standpoint, don't fill up the sump if you're pumping uh, full. You know, try to uh, add fresh ink like maybe every 30 minutes or so or if you get to take a break or you get a lunch. You know, have enough in your pump just to run to that point. So you add fresh because a lot of the things I hear is, you know, I was having these issues and I put fresh ink in and everything was fine. Right. That's because it's balanced, you know. Yeah, we, it goes we, back to being balanced. Yeah. So again, when people say they give you a balanced ink system, it, it's a true statement. You know, we don't we don't want you to have to mess around. Like Craig said earlier, you know, it's supposed to be the easy part of the job. Yeah. Especially when you got all the bells and whistles, plates and registration and you're stripping stuff off and making cuts and stacking and packing stuff. Ink should be the least amount of worry. We try to do that the best we can. You know, it depends on the situation and environment in your plant. Some are temperature controlled, some are not. You know, so in the plants that, you know. The ones that aren't, they should be because, you know, we sweat a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the, the case in point is we give you a liquid 
right. which is a which color. Is meant to evaporate, which right. is designed to evaporate. And and you want that because when you print, you usually run it through a heater or some sort of air, right. and uh, it goes back to what we call solids, you know. So the things that evaporate out, you get uh, thicker viscosities and transfer, you know. Sometimes your color looks like it gets darker because of that, you know. So right. there, there's other things, you know, that come into play. And there's no hiding any change in color from the X-ray. Those special yeah, right. are going to pick it up, and the software is going to read it. You know, so maintenance is a proper maintenance, proper training. Okay, certainly. All right. So this is this I, I, this is fantastic. I've been wanting to do this since this article came out because I think it's really going to be helpful to our customers and and uh, just anybody who's a fan of the show and is listening. So according to the survey and dealing with ink foaming, 29% added defoamer, 28% adjusted their ink pump setting. I like that 28%. You like that? Okay. All right. 27% called their ink supplier. So our phone started to ring when, when that happened, right? But this is my favorite. And 16% slowed down the press and hoped it would go away. So... I would like to address the 16% as we are here, as, as we got going on here. What causes ink foam and what can we do about it? Well, coming from an ink standpoint, let's talk about that. We formulate inks to, to have uh, some defoamer in there, some amount, and that's based off of the knowledge that we have. Okay, coming from a, an area where the ink is put, let's say it's in a, a pump situation, enclosed doctor blade, a lot of times we don't have access to that information. So we build you a system based on your needs and wants, and then these other things surface. You know, sometimes you just have a small ink pan. Uh, I've seen some really shallow ones. And believe it or not, there's agitation coming from the rolls that are in there, and it's got nowhere to go. You know, you're trapped within. So air gets in there, tends to foam. You may, may think this sounds a little funny, but there are two types of foam. There's what we call the, the surface foam. You get big bubbles on top of your ink. We have a spray and defoamer for that. Okay. So you're not pouring stuff down in there. ABDF 78, <laughs> yeah, in case anyone's wondering. <clears throat> and, you're, and you're not harming the ink because you're only putting like a light mist on there and it, it pops the surface tension. Now, if you have like a pancake batter, you know, it's getting fluffy, oozing out the side of the pan, coming out your pump. That, there's air trapped down in there, and we have a pour-in defoamer for that as well. So. ABDF3? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have multi-purpose, multi-different <laughs> defoamers. Sorry, it's just a shameless plug for right. you know, products. But it, yeah, yeah, I've had customers ask me, why, why don't you just put more defoamer in there? And if it comes to the formulation level, the short answer is there's a, a balance, like uh, Tom was saying, or Bob was saying before. There's always a balance in every ink formulation, particularly if you're on film between the surfactants that give you nice low surface tension and, and lay you down nice on films and the defoamers they fight each other and they balance out against each other too much defoamer and you're going to pinhole and you're going to you can ruin the the print too much uh, surfactant and you get that pancake batter that we were just talking about right so again just back to the balance but you can continue okay well now this is where it's kind of going to go back to what you talked about earlier tom you see a shift in color right uh, sure and what a pressman will do in a case like that, if they see that because of the foam, the viscosity has increased, right? We told them, hey, check your viscosity, right? First time something goes wrong, they're going to dip the cup down in there and the foam is going to fake that the viscosity is thicker. So natural tendency, I did it myself as an operator, is grab your jug of water, pour it in there, it's thin again. But see, then I've actually hurt myself in the long run. If it's a foam issue, you got to you got to get in there and look at it and then add that defoamer. You know, we, we sell malty. I mean, you, you've heard us talk about it. 
But, uh, you know, if it's a viscosity issue, so I kind of correct myself on that. Yes, you check it and the foam will increase it. My natural tendency is to put maybe some extender in there, maybe some sort of solution to get that to come down. And now I'm adding amines and glycols and things into that. And that's going to cause other problems. So Sure. But yeah, just to touch on that, water, if you just add water to the ink system, water is uh, neutral pH. It sits at a 7. Uh, water-based ink sits at 9 to 10. So when you add a neutral pH to something, you're lowering your pH. So don't really recommend doing this. Not to mention making the color weak. Not to mention lowering all the other goodies in there. Water is not good. Well, it's not bad. (laughs) It's just not... I mean, it's okay to add a little bit of water for a quick fix or something like that. We just don't recommend doing it. That's why we call it balanced viscosity reducers because you're not just adding water. You're adding an amine blend to to maintain your pH high because you don't want to solve one problem and immediately or down the line create a number of other problems. So, um, yes, water's cheap and it's easy. Not necessarily the right thing to go, but I didn't want to knock you off here. Your foam cloud? Yeah. I think the long and the short of it is, when you're talking about these issues, everything's tied together. So when it comes to formulation, your applications, generally speaking, we'll give you the ink. Here's ink. Boom. Here's ink A. Here's ink additive A. Here's ink additive B. Use them. When this happens, use them. When this happens, and try not to go around that. So I think you mentioned something like, what was it, 27% or something called their ink supplier, 16%? Yeah, 27% contacted their ink supplier, 16% slowed their press down and hoped. It's hoped it would go hoped away. Hoped it would go away. Yeah, okay. That did, well, I don't think that works. I assume the, the, the percentage that called the ink supplier were probably not sure which one to add. Which one to add. That's fair. Right? Right. So they're like, well, I have this one, I have this one. Which one is going to A, solve my problem, and B, not create more problems? Right. right, And that's training and that's perfect. So I have absolutely zero problem when a customer calls and says, hey, I have these two additive. Which one do you think in this particular situation is going to work the best for me? Well, that's what we're here for. That's what that's what our job is, right? So I agree with that. But, you know, the, I wouldn't particularly be in the group that just waits for it to go away because it's not going <laughs> to. <laughs> but they slow down the press. So I guess I guess what their, their mindset would be like, okay, so we slow down our press, we reduce our agitation, and the foam will eventually pop and, and, and take us three, quote, unquote, go away. Three times as long to run a job. Well, yeah, but he's probably got a cold, you know, a yeah, cold sandwich. Time. Right. You know, he, I, he can, okay. he'd have a cold drink. All right. <laughs> well, I, I, think we, I think we've beaten yeah. these bubbles to death here. <laughs> All right, moving on, we have adhesion and drying issues. So 32% immediately checked and adjusted the Corona Treater. 27% contacted their ink supplier. That's the same 27% from the whole foam thing. So good good on you for that. Yeah. 19% changed out their uh, substrate, which to me sounds kind of timely and expensive. So, you know, when we're talking about adhesion, we're probably talking about film substrates here. So and we're... Again, talking about how to communicate with your, you know, ink vendor. You know, what should a printer do uh, to first help with assist with this issue? And, uh, you know, how can we help them? How can we help them not have issues on, on pre- you know, before they get the press, right? So can we do an analysis here? Can interactive inks and coatings do an analysis of the film that they're going to be running on and do those kinds of things for them? Sure. We, we get that all the time here. Uh, as a matter of fact, just before I got into the, the show here, we did see a different type of film. What that is, is uh, you're, you're talking mainly surface printing. Okay, there's no way for an ink to dive down into a film. It sits up on the top, so we call that surface printing. So we try to find a way of uh, getting the ink to marry, let's say, or 
dive into that film. And we could do some analysis testing. You know, uh, we have a dyeing pen kit. Most printers that I go into have some sort of a kit or a pen, and it's easy to check. So the statement in the article is you can turn up your Corona treater. Most of your vendors that are out there will do that for you. You do lose dyeing level over time with material sitting in your warehouse. So again, if, if you get it straight from your manufacturer, you probably don't have that issue. But it became a critical part of this article. So yes, we can test it. We have primers that will act as a go-between, sort of like a chain link. You know, you have that one little link on your chain that holds it together. You know, you're biting into the surface of the material per se. Then you're also letting the ink adhere to that as well. So if you don't have a Corona treater in your plant, we do have primers that will help you kind of raise the level of that dyeing on your finished surface. A couple things about dyeing levels. Uh, when you excite those particles, those particles only stay excited for so long. So if you print the material and you run it through your Corona treater and then you stick it into a box and mail it to Interactive Inks and, and we do our testing, um, typically speaking, those properties are going to fall off slightly over time. Okay, So we can and do do testing for the ink systems to make sure that we can get the adhesion and the lay down and the rest of it that we have. Generally speaking, when, you, when you're talking about developing, particularly on new films, we like to do it on press because if you're, particularly if you're um, treating in line, those dyne levels, we can set and, and adjust the ink levels and, and the surfactant amounts and the defoamers and all that other stuff that I don't want to go back into again. We can adjust all that right on press. And once we have a good idea of, of the type of laydown that we get there, then we can develop an entire ink system, baselines, products, all around that and that specific application. So that's just one little note that I wanted to say. Okay, so we're talking about surface, surface printing, water-based inks on top of film. And then we know that some of our customers for sure are going to laminate that, right? And so is there a different ink system they should be using for laminating? Why is it important to not try to use that surface print ink for a lamination job? And what, what are some of the things you've seen over the years that people try to get away with? Well, typically what I see is if you're printing on a film surface, we have to have properties like scratch, scuff. These wraps might be going on bottles and stuff. And as it goes down the conveyor, it's uh, you know bouncing off of each other. So you don't want any scratch or scuff like that. So we put additives in there to stop that kind of thing. Adhesion promoters, things like that. And, and then when you laminate, think in terms of like a, a Teflon pan that you have for cooking. Right, you cook in there, you're done making whatever you make, you just tilt the pan, it falls out right on your plate. My mom used to have these old pans that didn't have the Teflon wax in there, and everything would stick to that. You know, you cook yes. an egg, it would stick in there. Yes. So, you know, when you want to put a laminate over there, you're not going to repel from the waxes and silicones and additives in there that you uh, are trying, on one sense, to do a surface print. And then when you laminate, you know, let your ink supplier know that this is what we're doing because it's going to have no bond strength at that point. It's going to de-lam. You know. Right, because so the waxes, the waxes are probably what, bloom to the surface, right, and sure. help delaminate that. Or you could trap uh, some amines in there, with, which would never even allow the adhesive to do what it's supposed to do. Right, right? So, so to touch back on what Craig said earlier, we want to make it simple. So we'll sell you the laminating ink without that wax or silicone. And then we have additives that you can add at your press uh, to bring those properties back when you're not laminating. Here's the thing, though. 
you want to put on the label of the ink container that you've done that, you know, and then, yes, you'll have to segregate that a little bit. You well, know. that comes back to using the software properly, because if you're using an X-Rite software or something along those lines, you just simply choose the application that you're printing. So you say, okay, I'm laminating, and the formulation software will automatically put all those goodies in there uh, or take, or them, take out, them out, right. right, depending on the application. And then, of course, it will already be on the label because when you click print, it's going to print up the label and it's going to say, hey, this is lamination ink, or it's not, don't laminate it with it. And it's critically important because it comes, when it comes to work-off inks and you're laminating, you don't want to just take any old ink off the shelf and, and dump it in if you do not know for certain that there aren't silicones or something in there because it might not laminate right away. It might pass QC procedures for a week or two weeks and silicones might migrate to the surface from some old ink jug that you pulled off the, and three months from now all of a sudden you start to lose bond strengths and it falls apart on the shelf. So when it comes to using work-off and utilizing these systems, I just, yeah, you want to make sure, like what Bob said, is absolutely critical if you're switching back and forth from lamination to, to surface print type. Yeah, absolutely let your, you know, ink supplier know what you're going to be doing, you know, what jo- what's the job, what's the end use of the label? I always ask the customer, what's the end use of the label? So that, you know, when we're designing ink systems for our customers that we, uh, you know, know what to and what to take out of an ink system. So we touched a little bit on additives uh, with the uh, viscosity and the pH. Why are they needed? When and why? I mean, there's all kinds of different additives out there. But I think the I think there's a lot of heavy use of what we call the glug method or heavy on the wrist kind of thing. So yes, additives are necessary. Maybe you could just talk about, hey, what are the top three or four different additives of press guy should have press side and and what to and what not to do with said additives, leaving water out as an additive. Water doesn't count. <laughs> okay. What I generally do when I operate a machine, I like to have something that will keep my viscosity where it needs to be. And, and one of the products we have is balanced to do that. Not only does it have the ability to thin the ink, it also keeps the range of amines and things that you need to put back into your ink there. So, so that's one of them. The other one is just straight pH. If your viscosity is good and you just need to bump the pH, you know, uh, again, we, we give you a certain range per product that you buy, generally between uh, 8.8 and 9.7. So if you're on the high side of that, and your pH starts dropping, but your viscosity is okay, then we have this thing to kind of replenish okay. that, that as well. And then, of course, the defoamer, you know, and again, and you got to be able to recognize which one it is. That's why I say, you know, check your viscosity, check your pH, and then if it's foaming due to whatever, you know, it could be the ink system, it could be the, the type of sump that holds your ink, and then the operator yourself, you know, just be aware of that. You know, and then uh, if you're checking things, if it's foam, you could add the defoamer. You know, so those three are, okay. are you know, the ones that I usually have in, uh, at press site. All right, so we're, we're kind of finishing up here. So I, I would just ask, what advice would you have for young press operators co- just coming into the business? Because there's a shortage of that. We've, we've documented that well here on this broadcast for sure. And we're starting to grab kids out of high school, right? So, you know, first day, first day on the job or as we're coming into the business, Obviously, it's changed over 30 years, so some of the things that we used to do, we don't do anymore. But what kind of advice would you have for a brand new kid with no bad habits coming in, and you know, what would you have for him? Well, first off, 
I'd like to touch back on what Craig said earlier. Ink should be easy. You guys are going to have more than enough going on on your machines. You know, all the bells and whistles. That time may be of the essence. You know, you don't have time to do it. Don't ever do anything by feel. We have tools in the industry that you can use. The Zon Cup, the pH meter. We have additives that we supply you. Contact us. You know, have these conversations like this. Either listen to the iPod, talk directly. We can come out you know, spend the day with you, that kind of thing. We do seminars, you know, that's an added extra feature. We'll come out, we'll talk to you, we'll hang with you for the day. There are no bad habits per se, you know. I mean, guys do what they do. Most of them are really good at it. Sure. You know, sometimes you you are trained by a trainee. Uh, so again, we can we can offer that. You know, this is what we do. I mean, it's our, our job, our livelihood. We, we like what we do and we're here for you. Well, look, I, I thank uh, both of you for your for your time today, and, and I'm hoping that when this flash poll comes out next year, that that 16% of I hope that I hope that the problem will go away, that that number is down to like 2%. I mean, quite honestly, between some of the materials that we put on the videos that we put on YouTube, the information that's coming out of the podcast, the tech, the advanced color technology that we have here at Interactive Inks and Coatings, the point and click and shoot when it comes to matching colors, getting on point, being under a Delta E at two, first time out. And one of the great features that I loved about the Act system was the ability for us to calibrate just the your individual stations and individual analogs on the press. I mean, sure. those are some of the things that are available to you. And so, uh, you know, I hope that uh, we see a whole different set of issues that these issues that are in this article from June of 2018 go away by June of 2019. And we, can, and we don't have to do this podcast again, but ink should be the easy part. Yeah, it really should be. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to our ink should be the easy part podcast. I know it might have got a little confusing as we answer these questions. We're talking a lot about additives. We're talking a lot about the different variables that are involved in printing. And that might not sound like it's all that easy, but our goal here as ink technicians at Interactive Inks and Coatings is to simplify those things for you. The reality of it is, is when we create ink systems that are for your specific application, all these problems get minimized, if not disappear altogether. And then when we take these ink systems and we incorporate them into full-service ink rooms using the latest in ink room technology, we tend to find that ink actually becomes predictable, fun even. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything specific, we do have a a text message line and voice message line. Give us a call, 833-ASK-INKS. Again, that's 833-275-4657. 833-ASK-INKS. You can text directly to an ink technician like myself. Uh, You can call in and leave a voice message and we'll get back to you. It's completely anonymous, and it's a quick and easy way to get your answers, uh, your questions answered. So if you want to stay in the loop on what's going on in the industry, head on over to www.interactiveinks.com and subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter. You get a printed edition uh, each month in the mail, which assembles and filters industry news, everything that's going on. So thanks again. I look forward to hearing from you, and as always, make it a great day.